We're on the ice too long. We're tired. We're back checking tired. Can't defend tired in the NHL. We sit in here and we celebrate guys who score big numbers and score a ton and all that kind of stuff. We don't talk enough about what we give up. That's the reality. You got to prioritize keeping the puck out of our net. You know, we overstretch our shift and the puck's in our net. We're kind of chasing the game from, from that moment, right? Those are our best players on the ice. This is, uh, you know, this is different than some of the things we've gone through in the past. So this is the group's got to really pull together here. We've got to we've got to pull together here to keep pucks out of our net. It's out of control. <laughs> it's the fan free game, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. Fan Elish and Justin. That was Sheldon Keith. We're going to get into that uh, in depth today. Uh, Steve Coolius is going to join us shortly to break this down, break down the Leafs' loss to the Sens last night. Keith's comments, which you just heard, a beautiful little collection of uh, their defensive shortcomings. We're going to look ahead to some uh, Canadian teams in action tonight in the NHL as well. And then, of course, Mark Spector with the uh, Battle of the Bottom Feeders tonight. Oilers and Sharks, that's a big one. Uh, What consequences could be looming if this game goes poorly for Edmonton? He'll join us on the second half of the show. But let's start with Keith, Justin. Just heard that montage. Very pointed comments. Very emotional Sheldon Keith last night. Uh, Deservingly so. It was a pretty brutal game. Uh, Probably, like, the most we've heard him honest and exposing how he feels in his tenure, maybe as a Maple Leaf head coach, what was the agenda with those comments? Yeah, it was definitely one of the most emotional uh, post games for Sheldon Keefe coming in early November uh, after, you know, it has been a bad start, but this has been commonplace for the Maple Leafs. So it is an interesting uh, touch point for sure. As for the agenda, though, I mean, it's something that I've been kind of mulling over all day. I mean, we did hear a bit in that comment, so like our best players are staying out too long. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just about the best players because there was singling out guys like John Klingberg who are struggling. Uh, and it was the same for Joseph Wall. It wasn't like he was holding back in any way. But it is interesting that the top players are top of mind when you go through that montage because we've heard... Sheldon Keefe go after them before and he's had to dial it back. And it hasn't been, it wasn't as pointed or mean spirit, if you wanted to put it that way. Like we remember the famous one, soft and purposeless, and that immediately had to be uh, brought back. But anyone thinking about the core four, anyone thinking about the top players for the Maple Leafs last night after that loss, I I mean, the the list might be as as long as Sheldon Keefe because Mm -hmm. these guys have been doing everything in their possibility in their capabilities, excuse me, to keep these teams in this team in and to prevent those defensive shortcomings from killing them on a night to night basis. So I do appreciate that that everyone's involved. I just think Sheldon Keefe is frustrated and maybe with this roster, he's potentially met his match. So the comments that you're referring to is is Sheldon Keefe, if you didn't hear it off the top there, was we sit here and we celebrate guys who score big numbers and score a ton and all that kind of stuff. We don't talk enough about what we give up. That's reality. you got to prioritize keeping the puck out of the net. Our fans deserve better. It's not good enough. It's out of control. Now, that that's really encompassing a pretty big group, but you're right. Those comments are about who, who scores a lot of goals and who celebrates that, mm-hmm. who's on a point streak right now, who's got three hat tricks to start the season it doesn't seem like it's the right direction to be frustrated in. Everybody online today, I'm sure Kipper and Bourne covered it in detail, uh, is about the defensive shortcomings on this team. It's about Klingberg and Gio being on the ice for four goals against last night. It's about Joseph Wall having his worst appearance in a Maple Leafs uniform. But it's interesting that that isn't really where he was going. And he did mention, and I'm not sure if we played it in that clip or not, that they need to 
uh, protect or shelter. What was the word? Protect or shelter? I think we need to protect we John to, Klingberg yes, better. Protect yeah. John Klingberg better. Well, you could protect him in the press box. Yeah, uh, and, and I guess they, they may be doing that quite soon. Uh, but yeah, that is an important way that he phrased that because, yes, John Klingberg's a problem, but our play around John Klingberg is also a problem. And again, once again, I do respect that he is not just protecting a certain group of player and creating or helping create that divide that might be between, you know, the core four and everybody else on this team. But I do think he should lump himself into it mm-hmm. as well because... There's got to be something to a new group, a new pl- style of play, the addition of snot and how things aren't working. Not a single addition from Brad Living seems to be working the way you'd like. And when I look at the history of Sheldon Keefe and how it's been one way every single time, right? If the same GM brings you to every stop along the way, well, do you have to adapt? Do you have to coach under different circumstances, different conditions, in a different ecosystem? If it's been the same for you all along and then suddenly it's different, well, maybe you're getting exposed the same way others are getting exposed defensively. Uh, coaching has definitely been a hot topic through the Canadian teams. I didn't think that Sheldon Keefe was in the hot seat, but now with these comments and the way that he's addressing the media, I wonder if he feels like he might be in, in a warmer seat than we had thought. Uh, let's bring in our first guest, Steve Cooley, a Sirius XM NHL radio, the power play. Look at you all set up in a nice little spot. Um, appreciate you jumping on with us. We got lots to go through. I know that you're definitely fired up to go through the, uh, the, the Leafs content with us, but we were just talking about Sheldon Keefe's comments. And I guess we could start there with you. Um, after last night, uh, kind of a big collection of things went wrong. What did you make of his discussions with the media and where he decided to point or not point the blame? Well, thanks for having me again. I think he brought the best five players who are having great seasons in a group to kind of shelter the newbies. Definitely 75-3 and three from horrific starts. And Listen, we understand about adding Snot and Domi and Bertuzzi, and and it's clearly not been working out with Ryan Reeves at all. I I never understood the John Klingberg. Hey, look at the bags under my eyes. Up to one thirty every night watching these games. John Klingberg was never even on a list, a scouting list of mine. And if I work for Brad, as I just talked to Craig Button a few moments ago on my show, I I, I was I'm I'm shocked. It's like you've got a leaky roof and you go buy a bucket. They needed new shingles. They didn't need a bucket. So it's not working out. I I wouldn't play Reeves and Klingberg tomorrow. I I wouldn't do that. I think the comments were, it it was like painting the side of the house. It was kind of painting everyone with the same brush when clearly uh, the best players didn't play well defensively last night, but they are the least of his concerns. They might have a third line now with Robertson in, Yarn Croak and Domi, but at six, five and two, they're lucky they have six wins. They beat Tampa twice. They probably should have lost both. And they scored two six-on-five goals against Montreal. I think Keith did a lot of talking outwardly. I think he should also look in the mirror at himself here. There might be have to be some more 1-3-1 time and tighten things up defensively. This is a horrific start. They're on pace for 88 points and to miss the playoffs, perhaps. So I think Keith did a lot of pointing outward. I think it's time to look at himself and what changes I expect to see against Calgary tomorrow night. Yeah, I agree with you, Steve. I mean, uh, for the last few years, uh, Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe, as we know, have moved and thought in lockstep, right? And they've brought in a specific type of player that is diligent defensively and maybe the type of player that you don't have to worry about because they have those fundamentals drilled into their games and they don't need to be coached up, I guess, for lack of a better term. But with Brad Trilliving coming in, 
there are guys like Klingberg, like Reeves, and like Tyler Bertuzzi, Max Domi, who maybe don't have that sort of Kyle Dubas inherent style in them, and it actually requires coaching. Like, is Sheldon Keefe sort of being pigeonholed here as only a guy who can coach Kyle Dubas-type teams, and is he being exposed in your mind at all with having to coach a team that's not built by Kyle Dubas? That's a great question, because did you see um, Pierre Engvall the other night play Leaf Hockey? on the Islanders and came back and got stripped by Patrick Maroon. The Islanders went, we, do, we don't do that. So maybe there's less of circling back and a bit more north-south and to play a bit of a safer game when things aren't working. So I think that's a really good point. And when you talk about Dubas and Keith hockey, part of it all has to be when you look at yesterday's game, although the fourth line was having a pretty good shift, it was Stutzla, it was Giroux, and then Joseph flew the zone that eventually led to a goal that had the same people that you said on the ice again. That's coaching. I mean, there's a point of not using the fourth line or maybe using 11 forwards and also being an accordion. You have to be able to be physical when it calls for. You have to be able to turn the other cheek and do some other things. And I think right now they're too set maybe in their ways that you alluded to, and you have to be flexible, right? We're talking about the Kings in Vegas. They played a playoff game last night. The, the Leafs are playing checkers, and those coaches are playing chess. That was a playoff-type hockey. You don't just turn the faucet on, you know, in April and say, we're going to start to do this. This stuff starts at training camp. And right now, erase the bids, Price is right. Nothing over 6-5-2 and two and start again. It's a, it's a reboot time, team defense, and maybe some philosophy as well. I agree with that. So a lot of the players that we're discussing happen to be new faces on this team. Brad Trade Living come in um, and added some snots, some bodies, and a lot of them have not fit so well. So is it too early to be questioning his process this offseason, his first kick of the can as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Is there a period of time that you give these players to really warm up to be able to evaluate how that offseason went? I think it's never too early. Uh, in the July 1st moment with John Klingberg, I was I was in shock. I understand the Reeves move, but you don't keep putting spur peg in a round hole if it's not working. And right now, it clearly is not working. I'm going to back Bertuzzi and Domi. I would have done it, and I believe it will work. Have they underachieved? Yes. Right now, I think Max is playing better as a third-line center, and I think that is going to work out. And maybe 59 has been banged up, scored last night, and that he'll, he will improve and he will be a good fit with whoever he is playing with. But you can't keep doing the same thing and then hope for a different result. So what they do on the blue line, you know, they got two HL defensemen out there that are the least of their concerns. And they got those five guys I mentioned who are having phenomenal years. They're too good to be six, five and two, but they're going to have to figure something out because now it's like, where's Sam Lafferty? Oh, he's not here. Who's going to help kill penalties? Well, he might've been able to do that. So, yeah, you can't have your cake and eat it too, but I still think at this particular moment, if it's not working, there has to be adjustments, whether they're, you know, if you left Klingberg cap space open, if the Flames continue to tank, they've got three defensemen that might be on the market anytime soon. But that's not the situation now. But I'm not going to continue to force something that's not working. And right now, it's coaching adjustments, like not having the fourth line on the ice Mm. against Tim Stutzla. Uh, I believe it's seven home games so far for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I think in at least six of them, there's been maybe not booing and there's been booing in some games, but at least like 
on the path towards that. I mean, the fans at Scotiabank Arena have had little to cheer about and they've been have had a lot of reason to be upset with what they've seen. And I think Sheldon Keefe did allude to that. He said, yeah, the fans deserve better. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting part of his uh, post game yesterday, too, because He's kind of weaponizing them a little bit because if it's not any better, I mean, they're just going to be louder and louder in the negative way. So what did you think about him bringing the fans in like that? Well, I think it's it's partly true. It's partly desperation. It's partly when you've got nothing else in the cupboard to bring something else up about being below 500. You know, the best moment for Reeves as a Leafs was against Minnesota. That was a crazy game, but at least they won it. To have only these regulation wins right now isn't good, and they have not played good hockey at home. I was at the Kings game. That's men among boys. They're down 4-1 early to Tampa and then caught some breaks and did bring it back. Does that happen if it's Vasilevsky? Probably not. The same way the 3-1 win in Tampa Bay probably doesn't happen if it's Vasilevsky. So right now I think there is, I don't know if panic's the right word, but some desperation um, among those words. But they clearly have blown opportunities at home to beat Buffalo, to be better against the Kings, um, to get points, like we said last night, against Ottawa. And and they're blowing it. We got Sweden around the corner and then heading to Chicago and heading to Pittsburgh to play 98 and 87. Maybe that'll come at a good time. I'm not so sure. But right now, there's a lot of things being thrown at the dartboard. And I'm not sure, guys, what's going to stick. A big week for the Maple Leafs. Uh, obviously, tomorrow night, they got... The Calgary Flames in town. It's a Brad Trey living revenge game, possibly. And then, of course, you got the Canucks in town on Saturday night. And they are a red-hot team. So how dangerous is this stretch for the Maple Leafs for the Canucks, specifically on Saturday? They're also playing the Senators tonight. We've got that one at 7 p.m. on Sportsnet as well. And I also saw the Sens are here to play three Canadian teams in a row, and they're getting them on the back the end of a back-to-back each time. So lucky scheduling for the Sens, but I just thought that was an interesting one. They got three unrested teams in a row yeah and i mean the schedule works for and against you (laughs) even last night todd mcclellan tried to say oh bruce cassidy we got you at the end of three games and four nights you know what bruce didn't do didn't make an excuse Mm -hmm. didn't bring in the fans he he was angry that his vegas team that's played so well lost that game to the la kings so how about this you know less talking and more actions right starting with managing the puck not being so easy through the neutral zone, protecting inside the dots, not outside the dots. And if a moment doesn't exist to make a play, and they are a make-a-play team in the Matthews administration, then the high ball hockey flip, getting it out and live to fight another day, especially when you've got American League defensemen and other people struggling on the defensive side of the puck. But excuses after this start, I think Leaf fans don't want to hear any more excuses. They want to see results. And he starts, as Pat Quinn said, the great Pat Quinn, puck management manage the puck. One of the weirdest, biggest games is on Sportsnet West tonight. That's Edmonton visiting the San Jose Sharks. Obviously, it's been a tough start for Edmonton. It's been a tough start for San Jose, but less dramatic, I would suppose. Uh, What do you think the consequences are if the Oilers can't get it done in San Jose tonight? I refuse to believe that they won't. The Oilers (laughs) will win. I guarantee it. McDavid, two points. Dreisaitl, two points. Dot, dot, dot. I'm not, it's, it's like uh, if Jesus left Catholicism, what would end up happening? No, I'm, 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 I'm not going to address it. The Oilers <laughs> will win tonight and we'll be up watching, right guys? We'll be up watching to make sure that it does. If it doesn't dot, 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 I wouldn't want to be in Edmonton tomorrow. 
Um, another team that's uh, been surprising in a great way uh, is the Boston Bruins. They've come out to a red-hot start. Many people, including myself, uh, might have written them off early on uh, before the season started, so I just like to keep myself accountable for that one. They're on tonight at 7 p.m. against the Islanders. Uh, how can you assign credit for the start the Boston Bruins have done? Is it culture? Is it coaching? Is it a bit of both? It is a bit of both. I mean, there's a lot of people around here who've written off the Bruins over two years <laughs> yeah. and they win 65 games. And, uh, and listen, if Brad Marchand scores on that, you know, weird breakaway in game five, Bob doesn't make the save. The world probably changes. But the Bruins have had kind of this structure going back to 2011 or the second Patrice Bergeron did arrive. They probably should have won more than just the 2011 Cup. But there is a lot of Bruce Cassidy still left there. And Jim Montgomery's done a good job. And when you plug in Zach into the one spot, whether Coyle's two or three, Matthew Potry's from my backyard. He might have skated in my backyard rink. I watch him in preseason. I think, is this guy going to make the team? He makes the team, and look what he's done so far. As an 04, he's only 19 years of age. And the thing about Boston, guys, is this. They don't make the excuse, like the Capitals or the Penguins, about, oh, well, we've won, and, you know, we have bad draft picks. No, no, no. John Beecher, Boston pick. Jeremy Swayman, homegrown. Matthew Patra, they still go out, and in later rounds, how did they build Bergeron and, and 63 with second and third round picks? They, they, they're able to plug it in. I don't know if they've already won the Atlantic Division. I thought that was supposed to be Toronto. But when you look at Boston, Vegas, L.A., these teams, it's structure. And what's that? That's coaching. That's what these teams have shown in the early going. Great structure. And then plug it, plugging in these holes with either homegrown talent or other players, too. So I found it very fascinating. And the excuse of, oh, we've done well and we haven't had high picks, that doesn't matter if you've got a great scouting department. I also think the Bergeron thing will just live forever there. Like anyone who's come into contact with will still have the Bergeron way and it will be there for as long as, you know, there's any overlap. And that will be a long time because clearly he played with a lot of players, a lot of young players who are going to be doing great things for the Boston Bruins. Uh, for a long time. You mentioned Pittsburgh there, Steve. Uh, They pulled it back a little bit, a couple wins uh, in a row, but it has not been a great start for Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins and I guess Sidney Crosby and the veterans that have been there for so long. When you look at what they're trying to do, you know, balance the old and new and try and get something out of the last few seasons of that group, do you fear for it? Like, do you think it's going to be successful in the end? Like, what is your read on on the Pittsburgh Penguins to start and whether or not they have something left, some more juice to squeeze from that core. Justin, I said this Penguins team in year is like skipping grade 9, 10, 11, going right to grade 12. If they don't make the playoffs this year, it will only get worse. And Kyle probably got the job because he talked to the Fenway Sports Group, you know, the smartest sports group around apparently, and said, we want to keep this going. Sid wants to keep trying. And it's not the older guys that are actually the problem is if you only had to play 11 players, that group of six, four, one is pretty good for the most part. It's what they have below that because they don't have a Beecher or a Swayman or a Matthew Potter to fill in any holes. There is nothing there. So because of that, they're going for it. And they got to worry about Carolina and the Devils and the Rangers and maybe the Islanders. And if there's a crossover from the teams in the Atlantic to take one of those wildcard spots, like this is the meal, Banya. And it might only be a bowl of soup. It might only be a bowl of soup because right now below the top 11 players on the team, there's not, there's not enough there. 
Magnus Helberg is playing tonight. Tonight, what do we got? 11 games, 22 teams. We have 12 backup or number three goalies playing in the NHL this evening. The Penguins and Rangers have their number threes going. So the trip's gone well so far, but this is going to be a grind for the Penguins just to finish in wild card one or two. And they got to deal with the LA Kings tonight. You mentioned it, structure, structure, structure. I know they played the second half of a back-to-back, but it'll still be a tough one in LA for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Steve, this was fun. We appreciate <laughs> your time and your energy. Let's do this again soon. Anytime you want me, I'm right here. This is not the hockey basement. That's downstairs, and I'm <laughs> heading there after my steak. Oh, Next. awesome. There All you right. Go. Enjoy the steak. <laughs> Thanks, All right. Steve. Thanks, Steve. Uh, is he Uber Eats? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't think he's cooking in that white shirt. No, I though. mean Tass. What's that? Does he deliver? Oh. Tass? Get him on a bike here. We get, get, him, is, get him in before the end the of the show. The problem with the Van Bree game is it's right during dinner. I know. You're always thinking food. And when we leave, I'm like, I'm hungry. So can't get hangry. Uh, that was great. Uh, certainly very passionate about those Maple Leafs uh, and the rest of the NHL. We got some good games on tonight. Uh, New York. Islanders and Boston Bruins tonight at 7 p.m. That's across Sportsnet. Uh, Sportsnet 1 will have Pittsburgh and L.A. Kings at 10.30. Pacific will have Vancouver and Ottawa. That's regional at 7 p.m. And then the big one, Edmonton and San Jose, also regional, 10.30 p.m. on Sportsnet West. Uh, Are you as confident, sorry to interrupt you, uh, as Steve is in the Oilers tonight? No, I'm certainly not. No. I I want to see chaos, and that would be just a brutal defeat by the red hot San Jose Sharks. And it would be such good radio tomorrow. It would be. It would be. Uh, and I, it actually, like, if Jay Woodcroft is a problem, like, mm-hmm. and if they actually don't want to play for Jay Woodcroft, and it's just as simple You'll as, like, tonight. hey, we'd be so much better off if we had a different coach, or this is the exact problem. A loss might be the best thing for them, and then a win might just prolong things if there is an issue that mm-hmm. they need to address. But this would be the rock bottom, hey, something needs to change moment. If they, A, don't win, but B, have a real poor effort because there's really no excusing poor efforts against the San Jose Sharks given what they're throwing out there. That's actually my pick for Bet Rivers. So time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Um, I will be tuned into Oilers Sharks tonight, and I want to see goals, goals, goals. So I'm going over seven. Uh, that's plus 110. Uh, it might be... It might be seven goals per team at this point. Uh, Stuart Skinner, Mackenzie Blackwood, the likely goaltenders. Uh, We don't need to get into anything more than this game means a lot to the Edmonton Oilers. So if they do come out red hot, as Steve said, maybe two points each for Dreisaitl and McDavid. There, you're going to get closer over. Either way, Mm -hmm. chaos will ensue tonight. I don't expect it to be a 2-1 victory for anyone, considering that the Sharks allowed 10 goals in back-to-back games and they have the worst goal differential in the NHL and then... There's the Oilers. So over seven plus 110 for me on Bet Rivers. Uh, I'm thinking the opposite with two teams that have been the opposite than those <laughs> two teams, at least uh, historically. The Bruins and Islanders are going at it tonight, of course, on Sportsnet. Uh, I'm going to go with a condition that seems to be the most common win condition for the Boston Bruins. Five of their 10 wins have result have been by more than two goals, two goals or, or more, plus the under five and a half or the under six and a half, regardless of whether or not, whether it's lined at uh, with the New York Islanders in town or the New York Islanders, their opponent. I mean, this is a team that plays perfectly into that condition. These are two of the lowest scoring teams Mm. by both scoring and scoring against the entire year. So if the Bruins generally win low scoring games by multiple goals against a team that doesn't score much, well, I like it even better. So plus 480, if you parlay, Bruins puck line with the under five and a half goals. I know that's not much to work with, but a 3-1 final, would that 
shock anyone? I, I don't think it would. So plus 480 works for me. Uh, Sorokin and Olmark, uh, right, tonight? Yes, looks like those are the projected goaltenders. Beauty of those two teams, doesn't matter who plays goaltender. True, they're all good. <laughs> it's a nice fit. Um, all right, that was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. When we take a break, we'll be back on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590 The Fan. we got some Blue Jays and MLB stuff to go through. Um, our producer, Mike, just sent us an audio clip from Matt Chapman. Uh, no, Kevin Gosman. We do talk some Matt Chapman. But Kevin Gosman talking about Alec Manoa on the Foul Territory podcast. We're going to play it. We haven't heard it, but we're going to play it because it's, it's, promise. Some, it's some good insight on what happened with Alec Manoa in preseason and eventually the entire season for him. Uh, then we're going to look through some of the stuff from the GM meetings. Basically, Scott Boris is his whole like podium moment. Uh, there's a couple things that he brought up, including Matt Chapman and mm-hmm. his pending contract and blamed it on the Roger Sutter. I've been waiting for this for months, yes. so I'm very excited. Okay, so that's up next, and then we'll talk to Mark Spector uh, to round up our show. That's all next on the Fan Pregame with Ailish and Justin, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the fan pregame, Sportsnet 590 the fan and Sportsnet 360 for the next half hour. We'll speak to Mark Spector from San Jose in about 10 minutes. Big one tonight. The bottom of the barrel. Go head to head. Edmonton and San Jose. That will be, that's a highly anticipated game. <laughs> a weird one to have circled on the calendar, but we all have it. That's on uh, Sportsnet West at 1030 p.m. Uh, regional one. So check that out because it will make for good entertainment nonetheless uh, before we get to mark specter and tee up the rest of the night uh we were just talking to producer mike who said he saw a clip on social media foul territory podcast with kevin gosman chatting about alec manoa we haven't heard it yet so let's just live react so here's a clip like kevin gosman about alec manoa a detailed explanation about what happened to him at the start of spring training and then the rest of the season um, I think he got off to a, a late start physically in spring. You know, his shoulder just wasn't, you know, listen, the guy pitched almost 200 innings in his first full year as a starting pitcher. Um, you know, I've I've only got that close one time in my career. And so I think when you're a 24, 25-year-old guy, you don't necessarily know the impact that, that that's going to take on your body. And, um, you know, I just think he, he came in and, and – you know, maybe try to push it and, you know, get ready for opening day a little too early. And I think he just kind of never got to a good spot with, with his arm and with his mechanics. Um, and, and you could tell that, um, you know, and it was unfortunate to, to watch because, yeah, I mean, that's the crazy thing about baseball is if this was this year and he put up those numbers, like he's running away with the Cy Young. He's winning it easily. All right, Kevin Gosman um, on Foul Territory Podcast. Before we say that, I just love Kevin Gosman. I think he's such a pro, he's such a good leader, good teammate. Like, he probably had, like, he, that's a pretty good opportunity to say, not to say anything bad about Alec Manoa, but, you know, to say maybe he wasn't prepared or he didn't take it seriously. But, I mean, he lays out a really great perspective. 200 innings the year before, a guy mm-hmm. that has never done that before. Kevin Gosman said he did that once, right? Once ever in his career. That is a big hurdle. And when you're a young pitcher, maybe you just don't know how it affects your body. Not that I'm making excuses for Alec Manoa, but it's good perspective to hear from a 
Cy Young candidate pitcher about a former Cy Young candidate pitcher who had a bit of a step back. And maybe he's right about the pushing it for opening day. I mean, even if he started the second day, we always said that Kevin Gosman should have been the starting uh, opening day pitcher. But yeah, Kevin Gosman's perspective on Alec Manoa after sharing uh, probably a lot of highs and lows over the last couple of years there, it, it, it makes, it, I guess it's, it's, I don't know. I, I'm not changing my perspective on Alec Manoa, but it's nice to hear from a, a, a pitcher that knows him well. Well, on the topic of Manoa, I think that's the most encouraging thing that we've heard yet, honestly, because there's been this he said, she said, and people making up injuries and excusing certain things and the drama behind, hey, was there a demotion? Was there a refusal to mm. accept assignment? Like, there's been a lot of drama and a lot of things swirling behind the scenes. Those things still might be true. And they might be true, but... If it is true that someone, a young pitcher, pitched too much for what his trajectory could be or what the, the normal workload should be for someone in that, um, in that category of pitcher, well, it makes some sense. And it says something about the organization who did not pick up on this right. and maybe should have pulled the plug a little earlier on Manoa or curbed those innings just a little bit. But I guess you can't predict all of these things. But if that is true and there was too much of a load on Manoa and he never got right all winter because of that load, it would obviously affect him to start the next year. And it could be the single most uh, influential reason behind his struggles and how he never mm-hmm. got it on track at any point. Well, we're starting from behind year. the whole time. Like once you fall behind to start a season that you basically pitch, if you're a starting pitcher and you're not pitching every day, but you go 162 days straight, basically, right? You're in the grind. It's really hard to find time to recover and to catch up. And it starts from the very first day you pitch. So if you are starting behind, you're trying to catch up, it could make for a very... You're cutting corners yeah, and to try and get there. That's physically and emotionally and mentally draining. So if that's, you know, 10% of what went wrong with Alec Manoa, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, this offseason is really important. We're going to hear lots of... Updates on what Alec Manoa is doing. We've seen videos surfacing of him training really hard. And, I mean, it's going to be all eyes on how he can rebound from something really, really difficult. But I think he's got a good support staff. And I'll say that I think that that pitching rotation that the Blue Jays had last year um, can only be great voices, sounding boards, support for Alec Manoa. And it's just going to be how he uses it and what he if it humbles him in a sense that he's got to lean on others and swallow his pride and work his butt off all off season to come back and be a fifth starter on this team. Well, he surely didn't pitch 200 innings last year, so (laughs) he didn't come anywhere close. So the same excuse will not apply, but you're right about the staff. I mean, those guys have been through it. Those guys have been through that first really long season, Mm -hmm. the rookie season or this, the full, the first season where you are a regular starter and you're being pushed to the limits physically. So they would know Kevin Gosman would know, and he hasn't had the easiest path to superstardom Mm -hmm. uh, where he's at now. So yeah, I mean, I think that is possible, sure. But there could be other things, and this could be way too simplistic. But I'm definitely buying the reasoning there that, yeah, he was pushed too hard and he was never right all winter and into spring. And I guess for that reason, if that is all true, if that was like, hey, this guy's not right, I mean, they probably shouldn't push, shouldn't have pushed him as he, they did. But, yeah, I think if you're an optimist, if you're holding on hope that Alec Manoa is going to once again return to that form, this is good news. All right, so that was uh, courtesy of Foul Territory. Uh, Kevin Gosman on the podcast talking about Alec Manoa. Uh, let's play some audio from Scott Boris. So, yeah, I just, I just got to say, I've been looking forward to this forever. 
because Matt Chapman obviously had a... I don't know what the excuse was for Matt Chapman. You can ask Kevin Gosman, I guess. Uh, but Matt, <laughs> Chapman, will know. <laughs> Matt Chapman had a brutal year. He mm-hmm. had a great month, and he was terrible for the rest of the year. And we knew, hey, unrestricted free agency, oh, Scott so Boris, we're here to make all the money in the world. But it's hard to make all the money in the world when you have a contract season that goes as poorly as Matt Chapman's did. So for months, I was thinking about what Scott Boris's spin would be when he tries to sell the baseball world on Matt Chapman, and it did not disappoint. Okay, so before we play it, uh, remember that first month of Matt Chapman this season, and it was, Matt Chapman's going to be so overpriced. We're never going to afford him, and we were all pretty sad about it because he was the player of the Yeah, enjoy it while it lasts. And then it went downhill so quickly, and it was a little bit baffling. Well, here's what Scott Boris, uh, his agent, has Mm -hmm. to say about what the problem was and the lack of home runs for Matt Chapman this season. Particularly where the ballpark there is now, home runs are hard to come by in in that ballpark uh, for a very good offensive lineup. And so having players on the dirt that give you gold glove defense and give you middle lineup, you know, 25 home run power are are very very necessary to their success. So the the building isn't just home run friendly and, and you know what i will say there's a t- maybe a little bit of truth to that because oh, yeah, there is. There i is. mean all of the numbers went down this year we we're all trying to figure out we thought it was gonna be this hitter friendly ballpark and you know because of the dimensions but he- it, it, it did seem though that matt chapman's struggles extended to the road games that he was playing over the course of it wasn't like games. he hit two home runs at the rogers center and 40 on the road no. it, it was like what 17 and 18 no it was 17 total it was like nine and eight yeah, sorry, not an eight. Definitely not seventeen, eighteen. That would have been amazing. He'd be making a lot of money right now. He probably uh, wouldn't be at spring or uh, winter meetings in Arizona selling himself personally in the flesh like he is. Okay, so that's part one of Scott Boris. Do you want to hear the chapstick one? I need all the wordplay from Scott Boris okay, as he, soon as possible. He's kind of a creative mind. He's, he leans into the dad jokes a lot. So uh, here's a little lip service and chapstick from Scott Boris. You know, I'm not giving you lip service either, but the chapstick really has a lot to do with the potentials and advances of a core lineup. And I think when you look at their organization, leadership-wise, and and what he means to them, uh, and again, in a defensive and a offensive mold. <laughs> Comments on the, the lip service the, of the chapstick. The chapstick is Matt Chapman's bat. Uh, still believes in the bat. So he still mm-hmm. believes the bat of Matt Chapman will help a team if he's playing in a ballpark that's, you know, a little bit more friendly to hitters, I guess. Um, but I will say, like, when the times were tough for the Blue Jays this year, we we were very quick to say they have some veteran voices on this team. Matt Chapman, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was the list? Oh, Kevin Kiermeyer, um, Brandon Belt. And we thought that that would help them in the tough times and get through the playoffs. Uh, certainly didn't. But there is something about that, a player that's a veteran. Maybe that adds to the thing. Anyway, the, the situation with Matt Chapman right now is that the Blue Jays, quote, absolutely remain interested in Matt Chapman. Uh, they obviously offered him that qualify, qualifying offer of $20.3 million. He'll have till November 14th at 4 p.m., right before our show, to accept or decline. So we'll know that. Uh, but I'm sure he's going around free agency. He was at the GM meetings. He had his... Shaking a lot of hands. He was meeting with others. So we'll see what happens with Matt Chapman. Uh, One other thing that we wanted to bring up about Scott Boris that he mentioned was that (laughs) he believes that the World Series should be played at a neutral site. Mm -hmm. So no, no home field advantage. Just let it be, I don't know, pick a ballpark. And let's play the World Series there. 
And I think that there are few worse ideas that I've heard. Yeah, you didn't like the idea. Immediately, I kind of liked the idea because... Why? Okay, so remember World Baseball Classic, right? It was really fun. Yeah. Good atmosphere, right? Yeah. And what made it a good atmosphere, in part, was that both nations were represented inside the ballpark, right? Sure. So Mexico, Canada, you have Canadians, you got Mexicans. It's, it's everyone going back and forth. There's noise on both sides of the equation. And I do think that's cool. If you could simulate that somehow in Major League Baseball, I do think that would be cool. But then you brought up the point, the, if Game 7 of the World Series oh, should be in Toronto and isn't in Toronto, and immediately no. was like, okay, that's, yeah, you're right. It's a terrible idea. Scott Boris should never idea. say that again. But don't you think that's cool that you could have competing fan bases inside one ballpark? You never see that. Well, then never, just, buy, ever, ever just see that. buy tickets. No, but you never see that. Just buy tickets. But it never happens. Well, nothing it just is, doesn't happen. The World way. Baseball Classic is a little bit different. It's countries coming to. What's different support, about it? Two uh, teams an entire country bases. coming to watch the World Baseball Classic versus the fan base of Arizona, which is like a little bit smaller than an entire country coming over to watch Shohei Otani win a World Baseball Classic. Have you ever seen even like 5% of a stadium filled by away fans? Yeah. Like, yeah, there have been Yankees, Yankees. I can like, give you an example. In a mid-season game. When the Oakland Athletics had 10, yeah, fan, had 10 fans and five of them were from another team. That, There's that 50%. Game's, that, that game's irrelevant, though. I'm talking about a playoff game. A big game where you actually have competing fan bases. It doesn't happen because well, those games are so right. valuable. No, no, no. You earn the right to have the World I, Series I get, I get, in I your I get, I get ballpark. I get it. I'm just saying if that was ever the case where you could have two fan bases in the same ballpark in a big game, it would be cool. Yeah, it would be cool, but it's never going to happen, and it would be awful if the Blue Jays made it to the World Series, Again, and they're supposed yeah, to play right. at Rogers right. Center, and they're playing at Dodgers Stadium, Dodgers and it's Stadium. mostly Philadelphia Phillies fans. And it's people that live nearby that are going to come and buy tickets, and you think this entire fan base, like how much money it would be to travel and to pay? And pretty cool, though. No, If it you were in cool. L.A., Blue Jays World Series, there's 25,000 Blue Jays fans all there at once. That would be cool. But that's 25,000 people that have to fly across the continent. and I get it. And when it, it should be, be in our backyard. It might be cheaper. We know how expensive playoff tickets are here in Toronto. Might be cheaper to go Great to LA. Great point here in the text line. Amazing point. Please put your name. Toronto and Seattle. There you go. And is that not good, though? Yeah. Does that not make but for a good atmosphere? But that wasn't the World Series Game 7 where they're going to win the trophy. Okay, but it makes for a great atmosphere. And I'm just saying, if you could put that type of atmosphere or that type of situation mm -hmm. into a championship game, it might be worth it. Because it's not something you get all the time. You got at the World Baseball Classic, and it was cool. And it happened once in 2020, right? Was, it, was that the pandemic year when they played at a neutral site? I just no fans, right? Put me on the spot. I don't even know who won the World Series during the pandemic. Didn't we just scratch that from the record? It was in Texas. Anyway, see, Dodgers versus Rays. This is Andrew telling me in my ear. I'm not making this. Mm. I'm not that smart. Andrew, Texas versus, who is in Dodgers, Texas? Rays. Dodgers, Rays. Yeah. Dodgers, Rays. I don't even remember that. The well, pandemic exactly. was But that just... was the pandemic. Why are we bringing up the pandemic? Well, That's there, like it, the opposite. I'm just saying, it happened once in 120-year history. It's the opposite of atmosphere during the pandemic. No, thanks. I think it's a terrible idea. If the Blue Jays even sniffed the World Series and I had to think about driving or flying. I get to it. I get it.
I get it. Yeah. So just admit but, you're wrong, and would, so is Scott Boris. Would Arizona and the Texas Rangers would not have been cool if it was split crowd because it doesn't affect the Toronto Blue Jays at all. Mm-hmm. But for us watching and us having a outsider interest in it, it would make for a better in-ballpark experience. Yeah, I, I like the idea of having your home team, your home park. You win. It's your fans. You're winning on home field. It's same in hockey. Like, people do travel for the Stanley Cup, I think, a little bit more. Like, you know, I, you see a little mm-hmm. bit. Maybe it's just because their jerseys are right there in front of the, the, the glass. But, you know, I, I keep it the way it is. You know what it might, it, it, it might be that the Texas Rangers won every game on the road. So there's a lot of winning in front of quiet ballparks. And maybe that's what's clouding my judgment. I feel like if you have a neutral site, fans are just baseball fans. And they're going to show up and they don't care who wins. And then they're not really cheering for anyone. I mean, that's you're right. That is the criticism of the Super Bowl where it's very corporate. Exactly. The Super Bowl is a perfect, awful but, example of but this. But it's different. If it could be different... I'm not saying it's different, but it could be different. Yeah, I, right? I understand this make-believe su- world that you have. The Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. You have this idea that 50% of Blue Jays fans will be on one side of the stadium, and then 50% of would that not be cool? Dodgers fans will be on one would side. Would that not be cool? And they'll, they'll share chants and cheers. Would that the not time. be cool? Okay, well, like, this is a magic world. Well, maybe I want to live in that magic world. <laughs> okay. Uh, great discussion. Thanks so much. Uh, Mark Spector is going to join us right now. Uh, Sports at Edmonton, of course, live from San Jose. Uh, pretty fun, big game on the network tonight, Mark. How are you feeling? <laughs> yeah, it is a big game on the network tonight. <laughs> uh, big for the Oilers. This is one you're supposed to win, and you pretty much have to win, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that leads us to the natural first question. Uh, what's on the line for tonight for the Edmonton Oilers? It's more than two points, I would imagine. Well, listen, they'll take just two points. Like, this team's got two wins all year here. So uh, two points would be a good place to start. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the the intrigue is that if you lose, you're in last place in the National mm-hmm. Hockey League, and you just lost to a team that's only won one game. So, the you know, the, the ghouls are circling this one because for those people that like chaos, uh, the Oilers are on the precipice of a whole bunch of it if they can't win a hockey game. Yeah, that's day. Merrick. Merrick's been teeing this up all, yeah. all week. He's he's the he's the main ghoul. He's the primary ghoul waiting for this game tonight. I mean, I am too. I uh, I definitely used the word chaos about 20 minutes ago in the show. I said I expect to see chaos tonight. D- depending on whoever wins, it'll be chaotic. Uh, but I don't even think if the Oilers win that it can do much in terms of a moral victory, right? Like this is the worst team in the league, and if you win one. Okay, great. Are you saving your season? Are you saving Jay Woodcroft? Is there anything that can be gleaned positively from a win other than a win? <laughs> yeah, no, it's just a chance to get something going. Mm-hmm. Like one win's not going to make the Oilers feel better, but it beats the heck out of losing. They got to win one, then they got to win another, <laughs> and then they got to win about, they got to go on an eight out of 10 run and get into some, you know, they got to get their groove. We're 11 games in, they got two wins. Like they're, they just got to get feeling good and playing proper National Hockey League hockey, and they got to get some saves, and they got to play a little bit of defense. It, it, they can't take six goals to win every night. They got to actually limit the other team to two once in a while. So there's a lot of things you could get a start on tonight. You're not finishing anything, but you certainly can get a start. So there was an easy juxtaposition, or at least the possibility of a juxtaposition, when Brady Kachuk came out and it was in staunch support of DJ Smith. Because whenever you hear about hot seats or coaches that might be on the hot seat, 
you think about what the players think and what the players are doing and what the players might have in terms of their own intentions. And clearly the Ottawa Senators want to play for DJ Smith, want DJ Smith to be their head coach. Is the desire, maybe not as strong, but is there a desire to play for Jay Woodcroft, in your opinion, still for the Edmonton Oilers? Well, I, I believe so. Like, I've not gotten any sense that the team's not playing for the coach. Uh, they've got a bunch of stuff going on here that they can't figure out. There's no question. To me, that, you know, listen, the coach's job is in definite jeopardy. But this isn't one of the ones where I say, ah, the team's written them off. They're not playing for them. The coach is in jeopardy here because he can't figure out how to get this this car back on the track. Like, the race is going and the, uh, the all the other cars are doing laps and laps and laps and his team's in the pits here and it can't get out so the coach is paid to figure that out the coach is paid to fix the problems he's got you know he doesn't have a lot I'm not going to tell you this is a I didn't pick them to win the Stanley Cup though I did pick them to be a very very good team and play playoff rounds so we're all wrong on the orders but you look at the roster they shouldn't be this bad the coach has to figure out what's wrong and get the problem fixed. He's trying. He's playing the piano as fast as he can, like they say. And so far, uh, he has not found any solutions. So that's why this coach's job's in jeopardy. The team would love to play for him. They just can't figure out how. Uh, when we hear from the outside, it's a lot of discussion about the goaltenders, obviously. Uh, Jack Campbell being sent down. Uh, you've got... That being the main headline. And it seems like that's also the main discussion point when Woodcroft speaks about goaltending, goaltending. Is there other players that need to be held ac- accountable? Does he need to do a better job at calling out superstars or calling out more than just his netminders? Uh, is that just the top of the issue and the top of the uh, the iceberg that maybe we need to look a little bit deeper? Yeah, the accountability uh, as a whole, Ailish, is, is an issue here. Mm-hmm. You know, you look around the league, the, the season started with Lindy Ruff in, in New Jersey uh, and he benched Timo Meyer, and I believe it was, was it Siegenthaler? I thought it was Siegenthaler. Uh, then you go to Vancouver, and, and Rick Tockett sat JT Miller down for half a period. He came back and scored a goal, and I'm not sure they've lost a game since. Uh, you go to Calgary the other night, Huberdeau's sitting the whole third period watching a game. Uh, here in Edmonton, there's been zero of that. They sent a couple of kids down, big deal. Philip Broberg, it's not his fault, uh, you know, uh, Adam Ernie, it's not his fault. He's in the minors. And now Jack Campbell's in the minors. Uh, there has been, in my opinion, as a hockey writer, a lack of accountability. The best players on this team uh, haven't been playing very well, and they get a regular shift all the time. Uh, it's the guys at the bottom of the lineup that tend to pay the price. Uh, that could be an area where your coach begins to lose his team a little bit. I'll give you that. And that's interesting, too, because when you hear guys like Leon Dreisaitl speak, especially in playoff moments, it's like, wow, accountability, not an issue with this team. I mean, look at the leadership. Look at the way they hold each other to a different standard or a higher standard. And I guess uh, maybe maybe Jay Woodcroft is leaning on those guys to handle that portion of things. And maybe he's a little hands off there or doesn't want to give it back to guys like Dreisaitl, McDavid, so on and so forth. But it just it looks a little strange to me, a little wonky to me, because when I look at guys like Leon Dreisaitl, especially, you just don't feel like accountability is an issue at all. Uh, just quickly on Ken Holland, uh, because they did have some cap space open up by uh, demoting Jack Campbell as they did. Not enough to do anything serious, but do you think Ken Holland no. has anything serious getting cooked up? Because it does seem like, yeah, there's other issues here, but they could use a shot in the arm in terms of a talent 
addition as well. Yeah, they need a goalie. That's what they need, mm. right? That's the, the the only trade that Ken Holland can make at the moment. It's really complicated. It starts with cap space. They got none. I mean, they basically save a million bucks by sending Campbell to the minors, but then they got to call up a backup a guy named Calvin Pickard, and he makes eight hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So they don't save much money there. Uh, the other one that's difficult is traditionally in hockey when you trade uh, when a team trades you their goalie, they want a goalie back because they need a guy. But the problem is no one's taking Campbell in his contract, so you know that trade gets harder to make because there's not many teams with three goalies that can give you one and they're going to give you one that you want. So it's, it's complicated. It's, you know, it's going to have to be a complex deal and, a, and very likely a bit of a, if you think that the orders are going to bring in a goalie that could really make a difference here, it's going to be a blockbuster trade. Uh, history tells me that trade doesn't get made very often in November. But Ken Holland's out there trying to wave his magic wand because he needs a goalie here, and he needs one in the worst way. Oh, well, Maple Leafs got three goalies floating around. Uh, maybe we yeah. can and we can work something. How many out. of them are any good? <laughs> Don't worry about that. Okay, well, you know, maybe we need some cap space too over here. Uh, well, Mark, yeah. enjoy tonight. There'll be a lot of eyes on uh, this West Coast game late tonight. So we appreciate you jumping on and enjoy. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks, Mark. Mark Spector of Sportsnet Edmonton, of course, live from San Jose. A big one tonight. That's the bottom feeders going head-to-head. Edmonton and San Jose, 10.30 p.m. on Sportsnet West. Uh, We've got on the network after us, Islanders and Bruins at 7 p.m. across Sportsnet. Smith & Jones on after us on Sportsnet 590. The fans, their first of their weekly showings. They're back. The boys are back. Quickly, that is just the cruelty of the salary cap in the NHL. Like, if you sign a bad contract, you can bury it, but the only cap savings you get, you got to use to bring back a minor league goaltender. Like, it is a brutal, brutal world if you're making mistakes in the NHL. Um, All right. That was a fun baby Friday for us here on the fan pregame. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Leafs and Flames tomorrow night. Brad Trey living era head to head. Uh, We'll chat with you tomorrow night. Have a great night.